Life is complicated. There is the law and there is reality. Welcome to Law and Reality, sponsored by Thav Gross. Now, here's your host, Ken Gross. Good morning and welcome to Law and Reality. Today, I am your host, Brian Small from Thav Gross PC. With me in the studio are some amazing co-hosts. We have Jenny Lingle, bright and shiny. Welcome, Jenny. Jenny is our tax attorney at Thav Gross, the expert in all things tax. Hi, Brian. It's good to be here today. Is it? Is it really good to be here? It is. It's nice to be here. You know, we've, we, we've had this conversation in the car on the way over. Would, would you rather be here or on the beach? Well, you know, the, the, the beach would be nice, but then you could be on the beach and say, well, I'd rather be in Europe. So, you know, where do you draw the line, Brian? Oh, 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 okay, we're going to Europe now. Um, <laughs> in that case, I would draw the line somewhere about Italy because uh, absolutely one of my most favorite places in the whole wide world to go. So, But, you know, a beach would be nice, 80 degrees, sunny, not winter, not winter, not winter. But since it is winter and it is the holiday season, before we introduce our, our second cohort in crime today uh i want to remind everybody to enjoy this wonderful holiday season to be safe out there and to have a merry christmas and a happy new year and be what you want to be have those new year new year's resolutions be safe that's what we all want with us now jeff kirshner social security and disability uh expert workers comp expert how are you jeff I am fabulous, and I actually am happy to be here, Brian. Believe it or not, I'm here for the people, servicing the people, although I don't mind Jay's suggestion of being on a beach doing the show, but I like doing the show, although I've got other places. What if, what if maybe, we could do the show on a beach? Maybe domestically. Well, actually, You know, I, I hear that a lot of radio shows do that. I, I think we should bring that up with location. Ken as soon as we get back to the office. We could we could, we could, we could, could also maybe do it on a cruise ship. Ooh, I like that. Or like we that. could be in Denver on the ski slopes. That would be not so bad. Yeah, but it's lodge. really difficult to, to ski and do radio at the same time. Well, this would be our hottie toddy break. We could do the show <laughs> and then get back out and skiing. Just uh, a suggestion for the producer or whomever else hears us or cares. I, I, I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll run it by the powers that be. I'm sure they'll get back to us in about 2048. My breath is not being held. Yeah. So, all right. Today's topic, interesting, and it is it is one that that people seem to not have a lot of information about, but yet uh, everybody knows somebody that's that's facing a problem and, and has to conceivably apply for social, social Security Disability or Workers' Compensation. So the topic for today is challenging issues in Social Security Disability and Workers' Comp. But before we get to the challenging part, Jeff, let's just start with the basics. What do I have to do to succeed on a Social Security disability claim? So let's go basics. Social Security disability. There's actually two different types of disability benefits. When you're talking about Social Security disability, it's either Social Security disability and or supplemental security income. Both benefits, you hear of it, SSD, SSI, both are benefits for people who are unable to work for 12 months or longer due to a physical injury, a mental injury, a systemic 
disease process, something of that nature, or more cases than not, a combination of all three. Typically, if you have physical problems, you're probably going to have some emotional difficulties as well. But needless to say, both. Can, can are, I get I both? Can you get both SSD and SSI? You can yeah. get both, but Social Security disability would be your primary, and you could still be eligible for a small supplement through SSI. Um, but typically, uh, you're looking at one or the other for most people. Okay. So for those benefits, you have to be unable to work for 12 months or longer, or when the Social Security Administration looks at your case, if it has been less than 12 months that you have been off of work, say five, six, seven, eight, ten months even, uh, when they look at your claim, they have to be convinced that the complete duration of your disability, meaning the time you've been off since uh, since you stopped working until now and into the future, equates to 12 months or longer. Wait, wait did work. you just say the government has to be convinced of something? That is correct. Is that even possible to convince the government of something these well, days? Well, that's what I do on a daily basis, but... As your topic started, challenging issues in comp and Social Security, and it is challenging and getting more challenging as time goes on with regard to the Social Security system, unfortunately. It's actually becoming increasingly difficult, and I can kind of go into a couple things. Well, well, yeah, like. yeah, why? And, well, and, and, and does, that, does the difficulty that exists and this increased difficulty mean that it's, it's no longer advisable in any way, shape, or form for somebody to individually file for a Social Security disability by themselves. They absolutely have to have a lawyer. Okay, so do they have to have a lawyer? You never have to have a lawyer. You can do it on your own. But just like anything else, if you don't have an expert with you, good luck. Um, more so, more and more, it is becoming exceedingly um, critical to have counsel. A lot of different issues have come up. Uh, lately with regard to Social Security, first of all, with regard to the judges, all right? You're, you're, if, if you get denied and you have a hearing with an administrative law judge, you have a hearing with a judge who is the trier of fact, who's making the decision as to yay or nay, disabled or not. These judges... But this isn't in front of a jury. It's not a jury, it's a judge. And like black nightgown, hammer in their hand kind of judge? Or? Uh, well, yeah, if you're thinking about Harry Anderson in night court, I guess you don't yeah. have bull as a bailiff, but yes. Um, you do, he, yeah, and Jeff is just sincerely dating himself there by bringing up that TV show. Yeah. So, so Jeff, is, is what you're telling us basically with the changes and how m much more difficult it's become now more than ever, it's going to be to your benefit to actually work with an attorney from the get-go? Yeah, so let me explain a couple things. First of all, the, the judges that are, are in place right now uh, ha are, are, by and large, much more conservative than they've ever been. There seems to be an edict upon high, not that anyone will admit to it that they are being more difficult with regard to deciding cases and the slew of judges that have become appointed more so than not, although there's still some more on the liberal side. And I don't mean paying every single case available, but people are more willing to pay cases than not. The judges, by and large, are much more conservative, and it spells out with regard to their statistics in terms of awarding benefits. Do you think that's a reaction to... An abuse of the process from earlier years, or do you think that's a reaction to and a creation of just who happens to be in office at this moment and where politics in general are going? I think the answer is yes, and the third thing is the amount of claims. So yes, I think that with regard to politics and who's in charge right now with uh, Republicans being in charge, including the White House, those who are being appointed to federal positions uh, are on a conservative nature. Uh, now that doesn't mean and this is a federal pay. appointment. That is correct. It is a federal lifetime appointment. These administrative law judges. So yes. Yeah, so that is 
uh, by and large, I think the number one reason. The number two reason is the fact that there is a lot of money being paid through the Social Security system, and I think that they internally are looking at a way to reduce the amount of benefits, not only paying people, but when people get on benefits, they're staying on benefits longer because our life expectancies are increasing and our system wasn't meant to fully uh, pay everyone based on the increasing mortality rates. So, Jeff, is there ever a time when there's uh, your grant and Social Security disability? Is there a reevaluation period? H- how does that work? Yeah, so Social Security always has the right, once they award benefits, to come back and look at your case. And we're seeing that more and more. Certainly people who are in their, say, in their th- 30s and 40s and 20s, those people that, and, and, and by and large, should have their cases reevaluated. But I think there is more of an effort on Social Security's part to reevaluate those cases to see whether or not those people are still unable to work. And, and they do flag those cases, especially people who there's a, a pretty good likelihood that with t- treatment over time uh, could get better and be able to do some sort of work. They're they're becoming more aggressive in terms of I, reviewing I, I those cases. I don't think that's necessarily unreasonable that, that just because you are deemed to be disabled at this moment, that five years from now, you shouldn't if you're if you're healed, so to speak, that you shouldn't be required to go back into. Now, the are they course. given a notice? How how are you notified that you're being reevaluated, and should you seek counsel at that point? Yeah. So so two things. First, let me just address Brian's. And no, I don't think it's it's um, an abuse of power. And I and I do agree with the policy. I think most people would too. That people who are young, you hear it all the time. I can't believe he's still on benefits. He's so much better than he was in the past. I believe it's it's appropriate, but there's an issue I have in one second. Jenny, going to you, they do send you notice. To, they're not going to cut your benefits off right away. What they're going to do is the first thing that they're going to do is they're going to send you a letter saying that we're looking into your case. Fill out these forms, and they'll give you a form dealing with your medical treatment, who you've been treating with. Um, fill out a form for you, maybe somebody else that knows you about your activities of daily living. They also may most likely will have you sign medical authorizations to get updated medical records. So they won't do anything at first, but they're going to get this evidence to take a look to, to investigate your claim to see what's going on. The problem I have, though, with regard to this is the fact that there's become more difficulty on people getting onto uh, social assistance. You got to imagine people who are on social security or are trying to get social security don't have money coming in. So by and large, a majority of people, far majority of people, are relying upon social assistance, depending on Medicaid for paying for their care and treatment. Or if you're on social security disability after 30 months of getting awarded or being disabled, you're entitled to Medicare. But by and large, most people are on Medicaid. Well, it's hard to get on Medicaid, harder than people think. And to stay on Medicaid all the time, people are having issues with regard to their benefits stopping. And now there's some work requirements that are creeping in that are making it more difficult to get Medicaid. You are reliant upon getting that health insurance to get medical care and treatment. When they're looking at your case, by and large, these cases rise and fall significantly on your medical evidence. Well, if you're unable to get care and treatment because you're having insurance problems, then it's going to be increasingly more difficult to prove your case that you're disabled or that you continue to be disabled. So we have we have a, a, a flaw in the system that unfortunately has is, is become more biased towards um, people who are on these benefits. And by and large, then, uh, back to your premise about needing an attorney, Jenny, yes, more and more people do need attorneys because it's all in the preparation and the background work in terms of uh, working on these cases to get the evidence necessary and to to help these people out navigate through the system. And when the system becomes much more difficult, even the system's difficult and the um, 
systems in place around it, including medical insurance, become more difficult. It, it creates much more of a challenge for people to do it on their own, and you just can't do it on your own these days. So now isn't that, that work requirement kind of like self-defeating from the standpoint of being on Social Security disability because if, you, if you're back to work in some capacity – if you earn too much money, you don't get your Social Security disability. Right. And it still hasn't, you know, they, they have this idea of, well, make people work for their benefits. And I get that and I appreciate that up to a point, but they don't have a system in place to really uh, adequately assess who are the people that really are getting benefits but maybe should be able to work or could be looking for work. And you are going to inevitably punish a lot of people who truly can't work or, or just not in a position to work, uh, not be able to meet these requirements uh, due to no fault of their own, whether it be their uh, circumstances in life, whether it be their disabilities themselves, yet their benefits are going to be... Um, turned off or temporarily suspended or things of that nature, and then you create a self-fulfilling prophecy with the government of getting more people off of benefits because now you cut off their life source to get the resources, to get medical treatment, whatever, and now they're off the doles because, well, they can't get medical treatment to prove their disability, so you, you do have a, a problem. Now, now, Jeff, switching gears a little bit, what about the individuals that get injured at work? And they're thinking, um, a lot of times people come to me and they'll say, well, I was injured at work, I should I have to apply for Social Security Disability or Workers' Comp, and oftentimes people are, are confused of how the two uh, work together and yeah, what the difference can, can is. You, can you get both? You, you can get both, but certainly in, in your scenario, Jenny, and I'm glad you brought that up, to kind of transition a little bit. So when you initially get injured uh, at work, uh, what you're looking at more is what's called workers' compensation, benefits for people who are injured in the course of their employment. If you get injured, the moment you get injured, whether you continue to work or you're never able to work again, workers' compensation kicks in right away because at a minimum, you are entitled to... Yeah, yeah wait, yeah, you said it kicks in right away. But I hear all sorts of stories where people tell me, oh, yeah, I got injured in work and my employer denied my claim. Right. Well, what I mean... What, what, what does that mean, and, and, and how can the employer... Do, what do they really mean when they say the employer denies a claim? Sure. So what I mean by kicking in means you are eligible for workers' comp. The moment you get an injury at work, uh, if you don't even miss any time from work, you're automatically entitled to have the uh, workers' compensation insurance carrier for that employer pay for your reasonable and necessary medical treatment related to your work-related condition. You don't even have to miss time from work um, to get medical care, but... You are entitled to that medical care, and if you are off of work for two weeks or longer because of your problem, your work-related problem, that's when the wage loss benefits kick in with regard to workers' comp. Now, the problem we have a lot of times is that, first of all, employers are slow on the draw to cooperate a lot more, and a lot of times they'll find reasons to deny you. They'll find Well, let's, let's look at the denial. Employers deny workers' comp because employers have to pay more into the system if they have too many claims. Well, you've got a combination now. You've got a two-barreled combination here. One is you've got employers that don't want their rates to go up based on, a lot of them are, are based on uh, how many claims they have against them. So you have employers that aren't too thrilled with filing a claim or they're worried about any other potential lawsuits. Even if, re realistically, there aren't any other lawsuits that can be filed, still employers are afraid of every uh form of litigation as well as anyone else looking through their books or anything else. But number two is when you have these claims, the fallacy of an employer is how much it will cost them. They have insurance for it. They're mandated by law to have insurance, and it's the insurance carriers that are responsible to pay for the wage loss, pay for their uh, medical 
benefits by and large. So you have when an employer that's not thrilled with you filing a claim, and then you've got the good old insurance company and anyone who's had an insurance claim, let it be an automobile accident, let it be a house damage or property damage or theft, or any type of insurance, you know that they like to deny first and ask questions later and make it difficult. Now, Same with workers' comp. Now, with workers' comp, Jeff, um, a lot of people, are, what exactly is a covered employee? Because it's my understanding that if you're volunteering or if you're an independent contractor and you try to make a claim um, that the employer is going to say that, that you're not covered and they weren't required to cover you. Is, is that a true statement? That is a true statement. In workers' compensation, and, and I used to be a professor uh, here at law school at U of D, and I also teach my students that the first thing of a workers' compensation claim is that there has to be an employer-employee relationship. If you don't have that employer-employee relationship, you don't have workers' comp. There may be something else, maybe other benefits available to you through private policies, things of that nature, but not workers' comp. So the first element you have to have is you have to have that employer-employee now, relationship. Is, is that a rebuttable presumption? So some, some employers might say you're an independent contractor, I pay you a 1099, but technically under the law, you believe you should have been an employee. Is there anything that person can do? Sure. So the, the law has kind of gone back and forth as to what it, the definition of what it means to be an employee. And now they've settled on for since about 2011 that with the IRS code has a 20-pronged um, menu, so to speak, as to what it means to be an employee, a weighing factor. You weigh different factors as to whether or not they're an employer, I mean, employee or an independent contractor, and you kind of go through that method. So just because they pay you a 1099, some, that's one of the elements. Some, some simple things. examples of when you're really an employee, but you're, but they, you're being paid as a 1099 where where example would be if you have to show up at the same place every day you have no control over what your job is per se like you can't come and go as you please you have specific hours a specific place that you work and uh by example i have a client of mine who said oh yeah i'm self-employed i'm a 1099 uh at this uh business in royal oak and i started to talk to her about it and realized no, you have specific hours. You answer the phones there. You are effectively a regular employee that the employer is trying to skirt around the rules. I said, you have two choices. You can go to your employer and say, hey, I'm really an employee. You have to pay me like an employee. And then she's worried that she'll get fired. I said, well, then you the other choice is to sit there, accept it. And then go to the EEOC after you decide that you're no longer going to work there. Because at some point you'll get disgusted and you will leave because they're not paying you what you're entitled to. And they're not paying into Social Security for you, which you have to pay your matching. There's all sorts of stuff that... There's a significant amount of abuse in the independent contractor versus employee situation. The IRS does have uh, a test. There's many factors that have to be weighed, and it is something that's often abused. But it is nice to hear that in this situation, when someone gets hurt on the job, if they really did have that employee-employer relationship, that um, it's not just going to be dependent on what the employer classifies okay, so here, the individual. Here's an interesting right. question. I'm an employee. I get injured at work, my employer is supposed to carry workers' compensation insurance and didn't. Do I have any rights? You certainly do have rights. And, and how do I... I think you, you, you should contact the EEOC. Uh, you should contact the state of Michigan licensing board because there are penalties for employers. Employers are supposed to have 
workers' compensation insurance. But if they don't, if they didn't carry it, am, am I entitled to get that relief, that workers' compensation from some source, or am I stuck just going only for Social Security disability? I may be able to sue the employer. Well, you'd have to, to, you'd have to sue the employer uh, is what you'd have to do. They're an uninsured employer, and you'd have to eventually, if they're not willing to pay your benefits, you might have to sue them and collect them and get a judgment uh, against them. Is there anything, so for example, say the employer files bankruptcy, is that a dischargeable claim, Brian, or no? I, I believe that it is. It, the company shuts down if there's no assets. It, it, forget the company filing bankruptcy. The company just closes the doors and there's nothing to, to claim against. If there was an insurance policy, a worker's comp claim, you would get your continue to get your benefits until they either you were healthy enough to go back to work or uh, you settled the claim. That's what a lot of people don't understand. I think, Brian, you and I talked about that in the car on the way over with the car accident claims is, is basically your judgment is only good if the person that you are trying to collect from is collectible. Right. Correct. So let's let's go, though, with with regard to workers' comp. What I want to touch on for one second here is challenging issues with regard to workers' compensation. So back in 2011, when the Republicans controlled everything, and they still do right now in the state until January 1 when the governor takes over, um, is that they were able to codify a lot of bad case law that was very conservative for employers, very favorable to them, to make it more difficult with regard to proving disability, uh, a concept called a residual wage loss or, wa- or residual wage earning capacity got into play at all to make cases much more difficult. It's not good enough just to show that you can't go back and do the job that you got injured at. You have to demonstrate that you've been looking for other work uh, and that you can't find work. If you can find work but it pays less money, you have an obligation to look for that to look for that job and actually get those jobs. Otherwise, those wages can be attributed against you and coordinate with your benefits. So, so if, if I was to, a doctor, let's yes. say I was a medical doctor and I can no longer practice medicine, but yet I can work as a cashier in a store or maybe a part-time bookkeeper, clearly my, my income is, is going to drop drastically. I'm required to, to take on any work? You, you Well, you are, except, except that the, it becomes a function of, it really punishes more of the... Um, lower wage or income uh, people because their benefit rates are much lower in terms of what they were making, and it's a function of what but, they could be making. But the doctor, per se, and one of the things I'm going to suggest to everybody that's listening is that if you are in a position where you can afford it, you should have your own independent disability policy on top of knowing that there's workers' comp available and then Social Security disability po- available. Long-term and short-term disability pays a lot sooner than Social Security disability. It, what's how, what's, the, what's the, the number of months that you normally have to wait for Social Security disability to start paying? Well, so here's the deal. So with regard to Social Security disability, someone applying, you usually apply, wait 60 to 90 days to get your answer, most likely a love letter from Social Security saying, sorry, we don't find you to be disabled. And from there, you have up to 60 days to file a request for hearing. And that's taking another 14 to 16 months to actually have your hearing. So you're looking all told, you could look at a year and a half, up to two years from when you first file your initial application all the way to when you may see money on a successful Comparing that to an independent disability policy, if you qualify under the definition of disability, in and each independent policy has a different definition. Each insurance company will have their own definition. If you're looking for an independent policy for disability insurance, you need to make sure that you go with the best possible definition, make sure your insurance agent is knowledgeable in the, in the area, and it covers 
everything, not just like in case you stub your toe, but it covers as much as you can and you get as much benefit as and, possible. And and a couple other suggestions, if you can afford it. Now, some people just can't. They rely upon their employer to pay for it. If you can afford it, you'd rather pay out of your own after-tax proceeds and have your employer because the laws are much more favorable to somebody who pays themselves uh, than opposed yeah, to the Yeah, it's tax-free. If you pay for if you buy the benefit with after-tax dollars, then the benefit you receive isn't taxed. If your employer pays for it with pre-tax dollars, then the benefit that you receive is taxed. And not just that, if there's a dispute and the case has to go to court, you want to stay in, in state court where the laws are much more favorable on those claims where it's much harder to for an insurance carrier to justify what they do in turning off your benefits. If you're relying upon something that your employer paid and you have to go to court on that, you're subject to what's called ERISA, which is in federal court, which the laws are much more favorable for an employer to justify their existence. So for those type of policies, try if you can to pay with after-tax dollars, although a lot of people unfortunately aren't in a position to do that. But if you are, that's my advice for you with regard to that. All right. Before we go any further, let's get into the announcements. I want to invite all of our listening audience to watch the TV version of Law & Reality every Sunday morning at 11 a.m. We are more exciting than anything else on TV. But if you're out and about or going to church... Is that because all that's on is golf? No, golf is on in the afternoon, oh. and that is very exciting. Okay. But if we are... Uh, if you are out and about or going to church, hit that DVR button and watch us in the afternoon. We are more exciting than watching bowling, I assure you. And actually, my kids are entertained every time it comes on because they make fun of me with my commercial. Oh, but I would too. Yes. Um, <laughs> so then I want to invite everybody to sign up for our monthly contest. When you sign up, all you have to do is go on lawandreality.com, type in your uh, in your email address, and you register to win a, f- a $50 gift card, a Law and Reality hat, and a copy of Ken's book, Dump Your Debt. We have a seminar coming up Wednesday, January the 9th from 6 to 7.30 p.m. in our offices in Bingham Farms. It's time to eliminate the debt. No fancy title there. It's just straightforward. It's time to eliminate the debt. You want to get off to a fresh start this new year. We're going to go over how to preserve your future income for you and your family so you have something to retire with. Debt elimination is a key part of the process that we talk about. We talk about bankruptcy. We're going to talk about debt resolution. We're going to talk about budget management, student loan issues. We're going to talk about tax problems. In fact, Jenny's going to do a special segment on how to resolve your tax issues, going over offers and compromise and payment plans with the IRS and even with the state of Michigan. And when you sign up for that seminar and attend, you get a free copy of Ken's book, Dump Your Debt. Sign up at lawandreality.com or thavgross.com or call us at 888-235-HELP. That's 888-235-4357. Wednesday, February 6th from 6 to 7.30 p.m. I know that's a long way away, but we want to let you know that's coming up. What you need to know when it comes to your estate plan and protecting your family. We're going to go over the essential elements of an estate plan, the documents you must have when when you're living, the powers of attorney, the uh, medical power of attorney, patient advocate, and the documents you must have after you're dead, the will and the trust. We're going to address all of those issues. We're going to address probate issues, how to avoid probate, what happens if you have a probate problem, and we're going to go through the whole kit and the caboodle and the estate planning stuff, and if you uh, attend the seminar, you get a discount certificate, gold certificate off the the cost of estate plan, $300 off. Sign up again at lawandreality.com, thavgross.com, or call us at 888-235-HELP. 
And then, of course, if you want a free consultation, otherwise, you can come in for debt issues with me, tax issues with Jenny, estate planning issues again with me, business law issues with Ken Gross, elder law issues with Pat Samasco, social security, disability, and workers' comp issues with Jeff Kirshner, and criminal law issues with Corey Silverstein. Sign up at lawandreality.com or give us a call at 888-235-4357 for that free consultation. Check out our website for our new free free reports, including our newest one, Resolving Tax Problems, The Real Solutions. I'd like to thank our sponsors, Jeff Kirshner Law, Corey Silverstein Law, Pat Samasco and Samasco Law and Thav Gross. Jeff, we got a minute, a little minute and a half-ish left. Tell me, what do I need to know? Where are we going with this? Well, you need, for Social Security, even comp, but certainly Social Security, you need two things. You need, one, to be prepared, and number two, you need to be prepared. And what I mean by being prepared is you need an expert you can do it on your own. I highly recommend against it. You need an expert, though, one who is skilled and trained and knows what the law is and know what it is to be disabled under the laws of Social Security. Everyone knows that they have injuries, can't work, but you really need to know what it means to be disabled, what the rules and laws are with regard to Social Security to prove it. Number two is you need somebody there to get your evidence together for you, possibly get any reports or letters from doctors and somebody that's going to be an advocate for you and, and put it all together. And especially getting all those reports and all that stuff from the doctors, et cetera, you got to go to those doctor's offices. you got to call. You've got to, and if you're not capable of doing it yourself because you're already in pain and you can't, can't deal with the injuries that you have anyway, your ability to gather those documents is going to be hampered and you need the lawyer. Even, even the most independent and capable people certainly need an advocate. That's true. All right. With 10 seconds left, Jenny... What do you got for the rest of the I'm year? I'm just going to say you need to seek an attorney. Oftentimes the consultations are free. You get the information and then you can make an informed decision. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with Law and Reality.